0: This week I was looking at an article in Forbes magazine that talks about some of the ways some of us waste money. They, they had a list of 10 ways that people waste money. So I want to share that with you and see if you agree or disagree because I think there's probably some variety in the room, variety of opinions on these things, and, and maybe some of them apply to some of us and not others, but uh, here's their list, not in any particular order, but... Uh, one thing they said that a lot, of, a lot of us waste money on is speeding tickets. Now, I shared with you last week when I was younger, that was a problem of mine. Not just the, the fine, but the, the increased insurance payments as well. All right, sounds like some of you have that problem too. Here's a, here's a second item on their list of ways we, we sometimes waste money. Unused gym memberships. yeah. New Year's resolutions, you buy that membership at the gym and you go once or twice or a week or two or maybe a month or so. Gyms love that. They make money and don't have to do anything. Here's a third thing on the list uh, of how we sometimes waste money. Buying pet food at the pet store where it's more expensive than at the discount store. What about luxury SUVs? uh Oh, now Nema Medlin. Do you know that last year the average car payment average in America was $499? My brother, for 20 plus years, has been a salesman uh, in Kentucky. And I was talking with him a few weeks ago about this, and he said, "Yeah, the average person who drives off our lot, uh, their, their payment is more than $500 a month." He said, "That's the average. The average." And now do you know that an increasing number of people, you know, when I was young, a car payment, if if you financed your car, it was maybe three years. If you stretched it out, it was four. Now it's six, seven, and eight years. And you add to that people who they have to trade and buy, get a new one every three years. Now, if that's you, you know, I love you. But they're in perpetual car payment mode. All their life, they're paying $300, $500, $600, $800 in car payments, and some families, more than one car doing that. And uh, it's expensive. Now, for some of us, um, another thing on Forbes' list was uh, expensive cable and digital television expenses. I'm guilty of that one. I like my sports. But... None of y'all guilty of that? Okay. Ladies, they had on their list bargain shopping. Just because it's a good deal doesn't mean it needs to be purchased. Also on the list of money wasters, sports equipment we don't use. I need that new bicycle and it doesn't leave the garage. That kayak, we're going to go to the river, we're going to go to the lake, and it's been 18 months since that kayak touched any water. Um, Rebates. Because a lot of times we buy something, it's a good rebate. Do you know that in America, 60% of rebates are never turned in and claimed? 60%. Uh, how about boats and RVs and camping gear that uh, you don't use? I heard someone joke one time that a man's happiest day in his life is when he bought his boat and when he sold his boat. <laughs> now, you know, all of us, if we're honest, there are things that that are they are good. There's nothing wrong with them in and of themselves. But if we're not careful, it is easy for us to end up wasting a lot of money, isn't it? I've been guilty of it. I would venture to say each person in this room has been guilty of it. Even these teenagers over here, as young as they are, they've wasted money and their brief, beautiful lives. It's just what we do as human beings sometimes. And there's a lot of research on credit cards, car loans, and student loans, and how significant an issue those are for people in our culture today. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about some of the things that God tells us in the book of Proverbs steal money, waste money, money. I call them money thieves. Now next week we're going to talk about how do you get ahead. What does God say about getting ahead in the book of Proverbs? But this morning, what are these money thieves in our life, some of the common ones that that Proverbs tells us about? And in Proverbs chapter 6, the very first one is laziness. And it shows up in a lot of different ways, just not putting forth the effort we we need to. There was a man who... uh, Decided to check out the house he grew up in. Hadn't been there in 20 years since his family sold it, but he wanted to go back and see it. He was feeling nostalgic. Knocked on the door, explained to the family who he was, and they graciously agreed to let him do a walkthrough. And he walked into the, they had a walk-in attic. And so he walks into this attic, and he sees an old jacket of his from years ago, and he put it on. And in the pocket, he felt something. It was a It was a ticket. It was a receipt to a a stub, pay stub, to a shoe repair store. Apparently, he had taken those shoes to that store to be worked on, be be repaired, uh, just before they moved, and and, and the hectic nature and the business of the move, he forgot to pick them up, and that's 20 years later. He decides to have fun, so he goes to that store. It's still in existence. He walks in, pulls out that receipt, and hands it to the clerk and says, Are my shoes ready? (laughs) Clerk disappears into a room in the back about a minute or two later. He comes back out and says, Can you come back Friday week? <laughs> Sometimes, you know, we just, we, we get distracted, we get busy, we have good intentions, and we just don't put forth the effort. We don't have the discipline. We don't have the drive. We don't have the energy, whatever it is, to really get after it. And the result of that. Many times is we end up wasting a lot of money. Look at what Proverbs says in chapter 6 verse 6. Now some of you will remember this passage, others of you it'll be new. Chapter 6, he says, "Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise." Go out and kick over a, you know, a, a fire ant hill and just just, you know, watch what happens. He said, "These ants which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest." How long will you lie down, old sluggard? Now, years ago when people would read that verse, they would think about somebody staying in bed all day, not getting up, and that's still true. But my image that comes to mind when I read that is somebody, you know, they're they're on the couch spread out with a remote control and a bag of Doritos. And it's a beautiful, beautiful afternoon they could be up doing something. Now, football zone, I get it, but otherwise, no. And so he, 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 he continues at the end of verse 9, When will you arise from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your, and your need like an armed man. I love that image. Because what he's saying is if you don't have any drive and determination, if you're lazy and you don't put forth the effort, what's going to happen is because you're not preparing for the future and you're not not doing things right when it comes to work and money and stuff. He said one day there's going to be a need in your life and you're not going to be prepared to deal with it. And it's just like an armed robber comes into your house, points a gun at you and holds you up. He said that's what the crisis will be in your life because you've been undisciplined and lazy in your financial life. Pretty vivid picture, isn't it? Well, look at another passage of Scripture. Uh, Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. Now, if you have your Bible, electronic, printed Bible, turn to these passages. I want you to see this in God's Word today, okay? Don't just listen to me. Look at God's Word and take some notes so you can learn. This is important. Proverbs 13, verse 4, he says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. In other words... Wanting something, desiring something, craving something, longing for something accomplishes nothing. You have to do something. That's why I like this cartoon. Look, look at this. What do you think? Yeah, I can, but I won't. I love that. Because that's the approach we often take. I know I can, but I'm not going to. I can, but I won't. See, laziness is not just physical. We can be lazy mentally, intellectually, just not willing to put forward the effort to learn new skills and, and, and new information that can help us in knowing how to put together a budget and make wise decisions financially and other areas, just, just not having the mental energy and drive and determination to learn and, and to improve. We, we can be lazy relationally. Don't ever take the time to use the calendar to plan for good family vacations or date nights with our spouse. Always gets what's left over because we just we just don't have the drive and the effort to to put into taking care of the things that matter most. We can be lazy spiritually. I'm not you know I I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to pray. Or you start reading scripture and you get bored and you just get lazy when spiritual things. You get lazy with worship attendance and lazy with Sunday school attendance and connecting with God's people. Look at Proverbs chapter 14 verse 23. What God says. Proverbs 14, verse 23, he says, In all labor there is profit. When you put forth effort, there's always gain, benefit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. It's time for some of us to stop talking and begin doing because talk doesn't get it done. Look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 13, real quickly, please. Proverbs 20, verse 13, he says, Do not love sleep or you will become poor. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with food. Get up, get going. One last passage on this issue. Proverbs twenty two, look at verse thirteen. The sluggard says, There is a lion outside, I will be killed in the streets. Now, what does that have to do with money and money thieves? It's just this. This 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 lazy guy's making an excuse. We do that all the time. We make excuses for why we're not going to put forth effort, whether it's physical effort, mental effort, spiritual effort, relational effort. We have all these reasons, all this, all this, this justification, all this, all these excuses. And and what God says is that leads to poverty. You don't gain, you don't benefit when you keep making excuses. Uh, I like this next image. Look at this on the slide, on the screen. Now, we all know that junk food is addictive, right? You Oreos, you're bad. So addictive. No, they're really good, but they're addictive. UCLA, a couple years ago, released a study that demonstrated the connection between addiction to junk food and not only weight gain, but inactivity. that, that, uh, That something about... Eating junk food all the time leads to laziness, to inactivity, if you're not careful. And now research is showing that an addiction to junk food impairs your brain activity. So not only do you get fat, you get lazy and dumb. I didn't say that. I'm sorry. So don't eat the whole bag of Oreos in one sitting, okay? What God is saying, listen, guys. Is stop just wishing, hoping, wanting, dreaming, talking. Get up and do something. And for today, that's especially true in your financial life. Now, here's number two the second money thief debt. I'm not a preacher who believes all debt is bad. But I am a preacher who believes what the Bible teaches that. <laughs> That when it comes to debt, you better be wise and smart and careful because it will become your master and ruin your life. So you need to be prudent. There's a a study recently that said one-third of Americans, listen to this, one-third of Americans would be embarrassed for their family members or friends to know how much debt they have on credit cards. 40% of Americans in that same study said that if their family or friends knew how much debt they had on credit cards, their family would criticize them and judge them. And so they're, they're embarrassed and they don't want to talk about it. Now, here's the thing. Shame, I know occasionally something good can come from shame, but the truth is shame doesn't motivate people to do anything significant for very long, not typically. Just not a great motivator. See, if, if, if all these people who were embarrassed for others to know about their debt, if that shame was enough motivation to change it, they wouldn't stay that way. But they, they feel ashamed for years. And, and by the way, we know from research and financial advisors and stuff in, in, in here will acknowledge this as well. The number one thing that keeps a lot of people from getting help is they're embarrassed to admit to anybody they don't know something about money. And so we go year after year, decade after decade, not knowing what we need to know about money because we're embarrassed to admit that even to ourselves, let alone to another person, and we don't get the help we need, and the situation just continues and continues and continues. And so we need to pray for each other that we'll get over our embarrassment and over our shame and get the help and learn. The only way to pay off debt is to face it head on, make a plan, and then work the plan. It's not rocket science. Face it head on, make a plan, and work the plan. Look at what God says in Proverbs 22, verses 26 and 27 about this subject. He says, do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantors for, for debts if you have nothing with which to pay. Why should he take your bed from under you? Now, you have to remember 1,500 years ago, 1,800 years ago, 2,000 years ago, you didn't have banks on every corner the way you did you do today. People borrowed money from other people, and, and so you would you you would make an oral contract to to pay it. You would become a, a guarantor. And even today, sometimes people will you know you'll sign for somebody else to pay something. Be careful when you do that, by the way. Uh, but uh, today we do it with banks and and, and and so on. But they would do it with other individuals primarily. And, And so he says you do that and you get in the habit of doing that and you promise to pay and and then you can't pay. Guess what? They come and take your stuff. They come and take your bed. When when you begin borrowing, getting in debt beyond your capacity to pay, you, you expose yourself. You put yourself and your family at risk is what he's saying here. Look in uh, chapter 22 again earlier in the chapter at verse 7. He says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. And there are a lot of people in our country, and, and probably some of you in this room and some watching on live stream right now, that uh, you are in bondage in prison to death. It controls your life, and, and, and that robs you in so many ways. Ways. One last passage on this, Proverbs chapter 6, uh, where, we worked, where we looked a moment ago. But look at the at verse 1 and following, okay? In and, and verse 1, he says, my son, in chapter 6, my son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, given a pledge, remember oral pledge, an oral promise versus a written contract like today, uh, with your mouth, he said in verse 3, here's what you need to do to deliver yourself, uh, humble yourself in verse 3, and then in verse 4, Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand. He said, don't be lazy. Don't don't just do nothing. Get up and work and, and make an effort and get after it to deliver yourself because the image he uses of somebody who is a slave to debt is like a gazelle. Beautiful animal. Beautiful animal. I've seen them in the hundreds in Africa. Beautiful animal. But he says it's like one of those beautiful animals and here's a hunter with a bow or a rifle or here's a a lion, a predator that's going to kill that beautiful gazelle. And he says you're that beautiful gazelle and if if you're not managing debt right and and you're in bondage and a slave to debt, you're that beautiful gazelle that suddenly this debt like a hunter is going to pounce on and one day It hurts bad. So work hard. Have a plan to change your circumstance, to get out from under that bondage. Now, a couple of things real quickly, practically speaking. You want to get out of debt? You have to stop the bleeding. In other words, stop adding to the debt. Nothing you do will work until you stop the bleeding. Stop adding to the debt you already have. Have. I heard about one family uh, had credit card debt. You know what they did? They took their credit cards, put it in the container, filled the container with water, and stuck the container in the freezer. Think about it. So if they were going to use the credit card, what would they have to do? Get it out of the freezer and let it thaw? How many times have you been out shopping, not planning to use the credit card, but it was there and you liked it and you had to have it and you had the credit card. So you Stop the bleeding. Get on a budget. You know, it's okay. How many of you old timers in here remember the old envelope system? I'm an old timer. I'll say that, okay? Remember the envelope system? Any of you young people know what the envelope system is? Any of you? Right, I'm going to give you an old fashioned tip that works even in 2018. You say to yourself, this week or this month, this is all I'm spending to eat out, all I'm spending on entertainment. You put that cash in an envelope, and every time you go to eat, every time you go out to a movie, whatever you do, you take it out, you pay for it, and sometime in that week, sometime in that month, the envelope's empty, and when it's empty, you don't go anymore. It works. Stop the bleeding. Use what some call the snowball method, where you pay off a small debt, and Put everything you can toward it and just put the minimum on some others. Pay off the small and then take that when it's paid and put it against it and just snowball it. But you have to have a plan. Talk to somebody. Talk to a financial planner. Talk to somebody who can help you with a budget. Put together a plan. Number three, I've got to move fast. I've got uh, a couple more things we need to look at. Here's the third money thief in the book of Proverbs, addiction. Now, when we think of addiction, we don't want to think about alcohol, drugs, etc., but there's other forms of addiction. Proverbs chapter 21, look at it, please. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17. The Bible says, He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. Now, does that mean if you like to have fun, you're going to be broke? No. He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. In other words, they were having these big parties, spending a lot of money on food and and booze and, and to find oil not only to cook with, but to anoint a cultural thing back then. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, You can take the good things in life, the things you enjoy in life, the fun things in life, but if you're not careful and you get carried away, you can waste a lot of money. You can be extravagant even in the good things that you enjoy in life, and it inhibits your ability to do other things financially. It can create debt. It can create financial problems because you're blowing everything on this one thing that you just love so much, and you need to guard against that, and that can be anything. Now, it also includes the things we normally think about. So look in chapter 23. Chapter 23, you have your Bible? Let me hear those pages turning, okay? Chapter 23, verses 20 and 21. He says, Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or gluttonous eaters of meat, for, a he- for the heavy drinker and the glutton will, be- will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe one with rags, alcohol, drugs, Y'all do know alcohol is a type of drug, correct? That's how it's classified. Cigarettes. My dad was a chain smoker. My brother and his wife were chain smokers and a few years ago stopped cold turkey and thank God they've continued to, to not smoke. I know how strong that addiction can be in people's lives, but Think about it for a moment. The average pack of cigarettes today costs a little over five bucks. That's the average. Some more, some less. So you're now and, and, and smoking's starting to make a comeback with certain groups. It's interesting. Um, forget the health benefits for just a moment. Well, don't, but beyond the health, the health problems of, of smoking, okay? Now, I've been in too many hospitals with people whose bodies were physically strong, but they were dying because of lung issues created by smoking. If they had not smoked, they would have lived. I've just seen it too many times. But the average pack of cigarettes, $5 a pack, you, you're a one-pack smoker a day. Okay? One pack a day, 5 bucks. Do you know that in 50 years you will have spent more than $91,000 on cigarettes? That's more than some of you cigarette smokers have in your retirement fund. Addictions. They they can take a lot of different shapes, and the Bible says they can be money thieves. You know, no, no person who's an addict of any type started out saying, I'm going to become an addict. Every single addict started out with that first drink, that first puff, that first snort, that first whatever. Here's number four. Here's the fourth money thief. Materialism. Materialism. That's a big issue in America. They look in Proverbs chapter 21. Let me hear the Bibles again. Matthew 21 verse 17. We looked at it a minute ago. Let me remind you of it. He said, he who loves pleasure will become a poor man. You're at the mall. Looks good. Do I need it? Not really, but it looked good on me. You're at Cabela's. You already have 10 fishing poles. But I like that one. <laughs> you get the point? Look at Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 7. There is This is interesting here, okay? Look at this. He said, there is one who pretends to be rich but has nothing. And there's another one who pretends to be poor but has uh, great wealth. Interesting. Here, here's this person that doesn't have much. Don't, they don't have much money, but, man, they live what, well beyond their means because they're trying to impress anybody, they're, everybody. They're trying to make themselves feel good about what they have and, you know, the, the house they have, the, the car they drive, the clothes they wear, whatever it is, the toys, the latest whatever, the gadgets and so on. And, and, and so they're trying to, they, don't, they can't afford it but they're trying to impress people. They're trying to cast an image. They're trying to feel good about themselves. But what happens, it ends up putting them in the poor house. And then here's the other person who's got a lot, but they live below their means. And by the way, do you know that most of the time when people have financial resources, it's because they live below what they made? You don't, don't live just to show off. Living to show off will put you in a, in a worse place financially. The Bible says. One last verse on this topic, chapter 12 of Proverbs. Look at uh, at verse, verse, verse 9. Better is he who is lightly esteemed and has a servant, staff, employees, than the one who honors himself and lacks bread. Same thing. Don't try to impress everybody by living beyond your means. Um, don't try to gain attention through stuff, through things. Now, how many of you remember the name Albert Einstein? Wave at me. You remember what Albert Einstein? All right, you young people know who Albert Einstein is? Y'all know who Albert was? Really smart dude. Won Nobel Prize scientist. Smart, smart guy. Okay. Albert Einstein. In 1922, Albert Einstein was traveling in Tokyo, Japan, stayed at a hotel, <laughs> and he, he was known for stuff like this, <laughs> Uh, he didn't have any cash on him to tip the bellhop, and so he looked around the room. He found a piece of paper and he wrote a note and he signed it and gave it to the bellhop and said, "Because I'm famous, this is probably worth more than uh, than a than a normal tip." Do you know that two years ago that note autographed by Albert Einstein sold at auction for one point? $3 million. You know what the note said? Look at it. Read that. Sounds like Albert Einstein had been reading Proverbs, doesn't it? <laughs> See, do you catch what God's trying to tell us That materialism doesn't bring satisfaction and happiness. It creates all these other problems in life. It's not that stuff is bad, but but learning to manage life and manage finances and living within your means and not not trying to impress and show off and, and make yourself feel better because you have this or you have that. Because if your satisfaction and sense of of personhood comes from those things, you're always going to struggle. Listen, believers, you are a child of Jesus Christ. That should give you all the satisfaction you need. We spent the whole month of August talking about being fully forgiven and prepared to see God and all the benefits that are ours because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. If you're trying to replace him with stuff, it won't work. All right, here's the last thief okay broken families and this is a this is a hard one this is i, I know the pain um, this is a big one in America proverbs chapter 5 last last passage i want you to look at this morning proverbs chapter 5 now you, to understand this verse you have to understand the context chapter five the whole chapter is about adultery about having affairs and broken relationships and broken marriage now, does God forgive and can God restore? You better believe it. Can God give people a good life after, a, after bad decisions? Absolutely. But here's the thing. Some of the, some of the costs, some of the consequences, they just don't go away, do they? They stick around. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 10 is in this context, talking about adultery and affairs and, and, and divorce. He says, In verse 10, and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien, a stranger, a foreigner, somebody else. I think most of us get what that verse is saying. Listen, seven out of ten marriages where there's an affair, end in divorce. For the three that don't, and and a lot of times Christians will be committed and they'll work at restoring those marriages. I praise God for that. But seven out of ten marriages where there's an affair, end in divorce. Listen, of those... You need to hear this. 73% of men and 80% of women, 7 out of 10 men and 8 out of 10 women following a divorce 10 years later, 10 years later, following a divorce, live at a lower economic standard, standard of living than they did before the divorce. See, not only is there the relational impact and, and the spiritual impact, there's an economic impact on a lot of families because of these kind of things. It's not free. And I I know that's not the biggest motivation, but I would say to some of you who are young, who haven't been married too long, you need to understand that if you destroy your relationships, the costs are more than you think. Now, there's there's the relational cost. There's the emotional cost. FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, is considered one of our greatest presidents elected president four times his wife Eleanor is also very well respected for her social activity and a lot of what she did when she was alive and back in the you know public eye in the 20s the 30s the 40s and then she lived for about 20 years or so after he died there were a lot of people who made jokes about her because of her appearance she wasn't considered very attractive when she was younger, she was more attractive than she was during his presidency. Do you know what happened to her? Do you know what happened? Do you know her story? In 1913, she and FDR moved to Washington, D.C. when he became the assistant secretary of the Navy. Five years later, that would be 1918, end of World War II, FDR was returning to the States from an overseas trip, and he was sick. He had pneumonia in both lungs. He was very sick. And she put him to bed, and and she unpacked his suitcase. And in his suitcase, Eleanor found a stack of love letters from Lucy Mercer, his social secretary, with whom he was having an affair. And she was devastated she offered to give him a divorce. FDR did not want a divorce because he, would knew, he knew that in that era it would destroy his political career. By the way, at that time, he didn't have a whole lot of money either. His family, his mom had all the money. And his mother knew that a divorce from Eleanor would ruin him politically, and she told him, if you divorce her, I will completely cut you off. So guess what FDR did? He did everything he could to keep that marriage together. Said, I'll end the affair. I won't see her anymore. They stayed together. He did not keep his word because off and on over the decades to follow, he would still meet his mistress. In fact, when he died in Georgia, what was it? Is it Hot Springs, Warm Springs, Georgia where FDR died? Warm Springs, Georgia. Do you know who was with him when he died? It wasn't Eleanor. His wife, you know who it was? His mistress from all those years before. The staff got her out real quickly and the media kept it quiet. didn't become known until the 1960s. When Eleanor Roosevelt learned that her husband had that affair and that it continued, she developed an eating disorder. You can understand why, can't you? She stopped eating, and then when she would eat, a lot of times she would vomit it up. Over the years, the acid from her stomach damaged her gums, caused her teeth to loosen and spread in her mouth, her teeth to to, to protrude more, which negatively impacted her appearance. And all because her husband did what he did. Her son, his son, their son, described their marriage this way. He said it was an armed truce that endured until the day he died. Isn't that a sad story? See, great people can do really bad things. You can be accomplished, but not smart and not caring. There's a price, there's a cost. The Bible in the book of Proverbs says that the fear of God, reverence for God is the beginning of wisdom. It's the foundation on which a wise life is is built. And, And God honors it and blesses it, but not revering God and not listening to God and not obeying God leads to decisions and yes, Brothers and sisters, with all my heart, there is forgiveness and restoration and healing and blessing, but don't deceive yourself into thinking that because there is forgiveness, all the consequences are magically wiped away. They're not. That's just not how life works. And there are costs to our decisions Emotionally, spiritually, relationally, physically. But there's a cost to our decisions financially. And if you ever want to get ahead in life and be on sound footing, please start listening to God. Because wherever you are in life, when you listen to God, you could be someplace better. God never takes you down to someplace worse. But sin always will. The devil always will. Have you opened the door in your life and allowed some of these thieves to walk in? Are some of these thieves right now holding you at gunpoint and robbing you? Get up and do something. Repent and ask God's forgiveness and then ask for God's wisdom and ask for God's strength and kick that thief out of your home, out of your life and slam the door in his face and lock it. Do something. Don't stay where you are. Don't stay the way you are. Don't let that thief keep rambling around in your life and home. Do something. You'll be so glad you did. Don't talk about it. Don't dream about it. Do something about it. Because the only person who can take charge in your life and do anything is you.